0: Well, we are in our second week of a four-week sermon series I'm calling Half Truths. When I say half truths," I'm talking about expressions that we often say to one another in Christian circles that sometimes fit perfectly and sometimes they just happen to miss the mark. And I've been inspired to do this by reading a book by United Methodist Minister Adam Hamilton, uh, a book by the same name, he calls it Half Truth. And if you're really looking for a deeper dive into some of these sayings, I encourage you to check out the book, it's a short book. But this is certainly a different kind of series for me. In fact, I've never done anything like this before where I look at a phrase and then sort of work backwards and try to think about the scriptures and how it does or doesn't seem to fit with these sayings or expressions. And our expression last week was, uh, when God helps those who help themselves. It's one of those phrases that people often think is in the Bible that isn't actually in the Bible. And today's expression is, the Bible says it, that settles it. Or maybe another way of saying it, or you've heard it said, is the Bible says it, so I believe it. So, about this sermon series, I gave a disclaimer last week, and I'm going to give you one more disclaimer this week before I stop with the warnings before my Sunday morning messages. Um, I'm aware that a Sunday sermon is a one way conversation, and I might share with you how I see it, and you might get to the end today and think, I do not think that's a half truth, I think that's a whole truth, and I just see it differently. And if that is the case, I hope you know that is okay with me. It is our hope here that everybody would read and discern scripture and study the Bible for themselves. And it is okay if you come to a different conclusion than I do this morning. But my hope in doing a sermon series like this is, first of all, that one you hear something that speaks to you, That either makes you think about something you've never thought about before, or you simply consider how God is speaking to you as you hear this message this morning. And I hope finally, at the very, very least, that you take a moment to consider the power of words and how they shape our world and our lives when we speak them. So our phrase today, the Bible says it, that settles it. Now, I happen to think this is a sort of tough one to do for a Sunday message, but I didn't want to skip it because this phrase, uh, or questions around this phrase, I think is one of the most common things people ask me about the Bible. People ask me about this, about how our lives relate to Scripture, how we study Scripture. And this is a theological question that I get quite a lot. So I didn't want to skip over this one. For example, I really remember um, some years ago in my church in Tennessee, a teenager in my church, he came up to me one day and he said that he was upset because a friend of his had told him that our church was not a Bible believing church. The reason? Me. (laughs) You had a lady pastor. And so he was upset, he was insulted by this, but he really and truly didn't know what to say, and even though I'm a firm believer that you do not need to attend every theological discussion you're invited to be a part of, that day I made an exception and I maybe gave him a list of some scriptures with women in the Bible and a whole Bible study for him to review and look into and maybe share with his friend later on, but the Bible says it, that settles it. On the surface, this makes perfect sense to us, doesn't it? The Bible says it. There is no other authoritative book for us as Christians. In our own tradition, the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, scriptures were considered so vital, so important, so central, so exclusively authoritative that they didn't even want creeds to be a part of our worship service because all we needed was the Bible. The scripture people to study it and discern for themselves, it was the most important thing. It's still at the heart of our tradition. I have devoted my life to studying Scripture. And as I get older, I continue to have more respect and awe for the power of the words that we find in this book, the good book. This book offers us timeless lessons and truth. This book shows us the ugly truth of humanity and teaches us about God's mercy and God's grace. It's a book that teaches us about salvation in Jesus Christ. I happen to think that if you didn't know any other story from the Bible, that if you just heard the story of the prodigal son or the story of the man with two sons, as it really is, that Jesus tells this story about what God is like and how God loves and how God welcomes and how God forgives, I think that story alone could make you a Christian. I think of the story of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus tells this story where the two religious officials, they didn't get it. They didn't stop. But it was the heretic. The religious heretic, the Samaritan, who stops and shows this man mercy. I am amazed by that story. In the Bible, we hear the stories of Jesus. The Jesus who offered forgiveness as he was dying on the cross. The Jesus who said, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. The Bible says it, yes. There should be no other definitive text in your life. This book has the power to shape us and teach us and claim us like no other. It's the definitive statement about God and who God is. But the challenge with an expression like saying the Bible says it, that settles it, is that it simplifies Scripture. It's too simplistic. It's almost like if you asked a surgeon who just finished surgery what, what they do for a living, and the surgeon says, I cut people open. Yes, they do that, but they do so much more. It's just a too simplistic view of what they do. Scripture is the word of God. In this book, we hear the stories of God and the stories of our faith and the stories of our Savior. It is the authoritative text for our Christian life, but to just say God says it, that settles it, is too simplistic for me. What we have here in Scripture is 66 books written in Hebrew and Greek and some Aramaic. It is written over thousands of years in a different culture and time and place. And it began as an oral tradition and then became a written tradition. We don't just think we found the Bible digging it up out of the dirt as it came to us. As people of faith, we read scripture, God's word, and we interpret it and discern what it is saying to us in our lives. What is God saying to me when I read this text? And you know this. I know you know this because you have seen it. Scripture can be used as a weapon to hurt or a tool to heal. In Adam Hamilton's book, he mentions a really fascinating historical example of how Scripture has been used in history. And he mentions an example of the late 1800s when the wonderful invention we call the toilet began to be installed in people's homes. That's right, I'm talking about toilets this morning. (laughs) When toilets began to be installed in people's homes, it didn't take long for people to say, I'd like to have some toilets at my church. And suddenly, suddenly, you know, no more outhouse runs during the Sunday sermons. They wanted toilets in churches. But suddenly, there was a rash of ministers across the United States that were preaching on Deuteronomy 23, verse 12. Now, I'm guessing you do not have this passage memorized. If you do, I'm impressed. But this is what Deuteronomy 23, 12 says. You shall leave a designated area outside the camp to which you shall go. With your utensils, you shall have a trowel. And when you relieve yourself outside, you shall dig a hole. Now, there are more details. I'm not going to keep reading. I'm going to stop right there. You can fill it in with your imagination. But it it ends by saying, therefore, your camp must be holy so that the Lord may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. All kinds of American preachers who probably, one, did not like change, or maybe two, did not like spending the church ministry budget on installing the toilets, preached that it was wrong to have toilets inside of churches. Now, of course, now we see it as a ridiculous oversimplification of Scripture taken out of context. Perhaps even a more serious and a more disheartening one is for us to keep in mind that there are over 200 scriptures in the Bible that Christian slave owners could point to as proof that God ordains and supports the institution of slavery and that there was nothing wrong with owning another human being. Even If they somehow brushed over the idea of the huge story from the book of Exodus of God freeing the people from slavery. Even if you brush over other examples of scripture like Galatians chapter 3 verse 28. There's no longer uh, uh, male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free for all one united in Christ. They pointed to all kinds of examples in Scripture. Ephesians 6, 5, every slave owner knew it. Slaves, be obedient to your human masters with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. So, today we find this notion and reading of Scripture to be ridiculous. Why? Because we interpret these passages within their context, their culture, their time, and their place. And we consider how the Spirit does or doesn't speak to us in a certain passage in our own lives. We study Scripture within a community of faith. Our church family. You hear people like me talk on Sundays. You come to Sunday school, you come to Bible studies that help you discern and wonder how God is speaking to us today that helps us interpret Scripture for the meaning in our own lives. One of the great things, the important thing about studying Scripture with others in a Sunday school class or a Bible study is that it keeps us all accountable from our own agendas and our own biases We can challenge one another. We can grow with one another. We can learn from each other. I love that about studying Scripture. In fact, that's why I'm giving a little plug for 945 Sunday school classes. But it's a wonderful thing when you get to study the Bible together. That's an important way for us to learn about Scripture. And I continually am amazed by the power of Scripture to speak to us in different times and places in our lives. Suddenly, a passage we've heard the same way our whole lives, suddenly we hear it differently and hear God telling us something new we haven't heard before. This is why to just say, the Bible says it, that settles it, oversimplifies this powerful and beautiful and sometimes complicated text. The Bible says it, that settles it, doesn't give us a full picture of what it means to truly study Scripture, to wrestle with it, to pray over it, to listen and to hear how God is speaking to us in our lives. As Christians, we read the entire book through the lens of Jesus. He's the glasses. That we put on in which we interpret the entire biblical text. The Jesus we see in the Bible is one who sometimes he pushed back against the law and the interpretation of scripture in his day. And sometimes he seems to double down and take it even more seriously. God showed us the very nature of who God is in Jesus Christ. He was God with skin on. Emmanuel, God with us, that's what we proclaim as followers of Christ. As the Gospel of John says, Jesus is the Word and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He showed us with his very life and death and resurrection of who he is, of who God is. And so that's why, and I know I'm getting late to getting there, but I'd like for you, if you have your Bibles handy, to turn with me this morning to Matthew 22, beginning in verse 37. And I didn't want to miss this opportunity of talking about this half-truth, to talk about this truth from Jesus. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus said this because a lawyer asked him a question. And the question was what is the greatest commandment? It's actually a reference of two well-known scriptures from the Old Testament that the lawyer would have known well. Deuteronomy 6, 4, 5, Judaism's most beloved passage of scripture, the Shema, about loving God with our whole selves, our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength. The most important passage of scripture to the Jewish faith. And then he takes another passage from Leviticus 19, 18, Love your neighbor as yourself. For Jesus, he takes these two from his own tradition and he puts them together side by side. Love God, love neighbor. This is the most important thing, Jesus says. This is the greatest commandment, to love God and to love neighbor. And I'm mindful that we see that in Jesus through his ministry. I thought of the story from John chapter 8, where a woman is caught in adultery. It takes two, but it's just her that's been caught. And she is alone, publicly humiliated. And the scripture says in verse 3 of that story that the Pharisees and the scribes are the ones that bring this woman to Jesus. Of course, the Pharisees and the scribes are the people that know their scripture backwards and forwards. They probably have verse after verse memorized. And they bring her to Jesus and they tell him, Moses' law commanded us to stone such women. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus is drawing in the dirt. I love that small detail of the story from the Gospel of John. He's down and in the dirt, I don't know if he was buying himself some time or he was just being an artist that day. But he's down in the dirt and he finally stands up and he says, you who are without sin, throw the first stone. And one by one, they drop their stones and they leave her. And Jesus asks her, did no one condemn you? She says, no one. He says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus knew the law, and he offers her forgiveness and mercy. The word became flesh. He is the living example of the greatest commandment. And as followers of Jesus, we are challenged to shape our lives to look like his. You know, years ago, a little girl in my church... I didn't even know she did this, but she liked to take her Bible to school with her. And one day during lunchtime, she had it out and she started talking to a friend of hers, and she came that Wednesday night to our Wednesday activities and she asked me, she said, My friend says she doesn't have a Bible and she wants one. Do we have an extra one here at church that I could give her? And so I went and I found her a Bible, and the next day she went and took it to her friend. No agenda. No pretext, just pure love for the power of God's word and wanting to give that to a friend. Will you close with me in prayer? Holy God, forgive us when we have used your holy scripture as a weapon to hurt instead of to heal How grateful we are for this word of God that you have given us to study, to wrestle with, to be challenged by, for a word that gives us comfort and strength and healing in our own journeys. And we thank you, God, for Jesus Christ, your word who became flesh. Give us courage to follow him and help us to be a people who won't settle for half-truths and easy answers but to truly seek you in study and discernment for your word. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.